Let's bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, we will adore you. We know you promised in your word that you will come again. In fact, that's how we know, Lord, that you are the true Lord and Savior and God of all creation, the only God, is because you will fulfill that promise to die on the cross to save us from ourselves and to come again to rescue us from this place, Lord. We ask today, Lord, that through your word, through Matthew, that you would speak to us, Lord, and uh, give us your plan, give us your instruction, Lord. We know that you have an awesome plan for us, one that we can't even fathom for ourselves. And for those of us, Lord, who are hurting, and for those of us who are in pain and suffering, Lord, we ask that you just uh, turn our eyes to you and to know that you are bigger than anything, that you can solve anything, that you can wipe away anything, and that we just need to wait and listen and to be your children today, Lord. Just help us to do that to the best of our ability, to love you more than anything else, and to love those around us, Lord, as you called us to do. It's in your holy name that we pray. Amen. And you may be seen. Well, I tell you, I am fired up after a song like that. It's hard not to preach well. It's hard not to want to get out and just cut it open and go. And I'm glad to be here, uh, my wife and I, my family. I've got two kids. We've been here for a few months. And it's been our privilege to be in this church and to be at a Pastor Ron and to be with you in fellowship. And we identify with the heart and the vision of our church to be equippers and senders to the all reaches of the earth. And I'm glad to be with you and among you. And we're excited about what God is doing here. If you have the Word of God this morning, I would encourage you to take it. And we're in the book of Revelation. If you'd find chapter 7, and we'll land there in a few minutes. I want to ask you a, a question this morning. I want to ask you something to think. It's tough to get up and get the cobwebs out and think this morning. But if you could pinpoint the greatest discovery in the last 2,000 years, what would that discovery be, do you think, for you? What would you say? Think about it. And I want you to turn to your neighbor, to your right or to your left, and tell them what you think is the greatest discovery of humanity in the last 2,000 years. It's changed us. That we use. And even if you want to delineate that to the last 200 years, okay. Just turn to your neighbor and smile. Tell them you look pretty this morning, nice teeth, and be happy about that. And then just tell them this morning, hey, this is what I think is the, the greatest discovery in the last 2,000 years. you got about 10 seconds. Outstanding. I see a lot of smiles out there. That's good. A lot of crazy answers. Breath mint. All right. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Just a little hint there. God bless you. Let me tell you what the historians of our generation and sociologists and the scientists have kind of gathered a top ten list of the greatest, if you will, discoveries of our generation in the last 2,000 years and even in the last 200 years. And they delineated from top ten going to number one. The tenth they discovered was the telescope. Telescope, again, helped us understand that the earth truly was round, that you could circumnavigate the globe and not fall off the edge of the earth. Then number nine is the computer. I think it rates, I'm surprised at just how high it rates, but nine is the computer or the silicone chip, the ability to store information, and that's changed all of our lives. Then there's the television. Then there's powered transportation. Think about automobiles and airplanes. And then at least number six as the telephone. Interesting that the telephone ranks higher, if you will, than automobiles and airplanes, but there it is. 
The use of electricity, the, the harnessing of electricity by Edison. It's powerful to make all those things we talk about work. Then number four would be antibiotics. You know, the ability for us to have life and to contain and sustain our health. Number three is the printing press. The printing press, the ability in the late 1500s to, to, to take works of literature and copy and mass produce books, if you will. That's changed all of our lives to retain information. Number two would be the mechanical clock. The clock to tell time and to know when to be somewhere and when not to miss dinner, important to me. And, and the last one, the, the greatest invention in 2,000 years. You might be shocked by this. I was. It's indoor plumbing. The toilet has revolutionized, if you will, suburbia. The ability for, for modern, you know, we've got our plumber in the back here. God bless him. But think about all the reality of what that's changed in the history. Now, what do these ten things have in common? I was just you. These ten things are phenomenal discoveries and inventions and the harnessing. But these, these inventions haven't just changed one person's life. They haven't just simply changed a country or two or even a culture, if you will. I submit to you that these inventions, these discoveries, have changed whole civilizations. How we do in life. Whole continents have been changed by these discoveries. And I would say similarly, the impact of those who try to do the hard work, the struggle of unpacking the meaning and the understanding of the book of Revelation. See, Revelation for us is a book that, that, that opens up the curtains. The, the, the book literally means the unveiling. It's like a curtain coming to and you're seeing for the first time, again, in plain form, in invisible, clear form, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Who is this Christ that we serve? Who is this God that we love? And so when we look at Revelation, we see that we, we see the God that wins. I've played on lots of teams in my life that haven't always won, and I want to know that the end of history, that the work of Christianity and the work of, of being humble and being, being Christ's servant and doing the right things in my life, this has panned out because God says, for those who are in His kingdom, we win. We are aliens and strangers on this earth. We are working and living and, and dying and hurting, and we're frail and we're weak, and there are diseases, and there is sin, and there's decay, and there's death, and there's corruption. And God says, but if you read the plan that I have for the world, you see, this is not the end. I have created the consummation of all things, and God wins in the end. I wonder whose team you're playing for. I wonder if you really get the concept that if the world around us would just understand and do the hard work of trying to sift through the symbolism and the, the tough languages of Revelation, the picture that it shows us, we would see that could change civilizations to align themselves with a living God who loves them, who created them, and who's calling to restore and redeem the world that He loves. That's the message of Revelation. And this morning we have the indubitable task to try to cover with 13 chapters, and that's not going to happen effectively. So let me just do the, the bird's eye view of a thematic introduction. And here's the point this morning. My heart is that you would have your, your appetite whetted and that you would be desirous to go a little deeper and to, to understand that there's 
a study for you that modern America, evangelical Christianity, needs to quit ignoring Revelation as many churches have and, and many folks do, but to dive in and to read and to learn to love God's Word and to ask the Lord to help you understand and to sift through that you would be changed. Well, this morning I want to ask the question, why do we study Revelation? I think we study Revelation for three or, or four main key reasons. The first is, is to better understand Jesus Christ as Lord. We are getting a picture of the revelation of Jesus Christ. And, and here's my premise that, listen, the more that you run to something to know it, the, the, the deeper you're trying to understand the inner workings of anything, and as God allows us and graciously allows us to look into His heart and to His nature and to see who is this God that created us and who is this God that serves us and that we've called to serve our lives for. This God that has created the world to know Him intimately. The deeper we understand the character and the nature of this living God, the deeper we become close to Him and are drawn closer into His presence. And in the presence of God, then we find joy. Joy to sustain us through life's hardships and through pain and the trials and the tribulations of your life and my life and through sin and sickness and, and destruction. We have this joy to know that this is not the end. This is not all that we're living for. We get a chance to see the fact that not only God wins, but that Jesus is, is God. And in the end, He comes back not simply as a humble, frail, human incarnate servant on a donkey, but He comes back bearing a sword on a white stallion to defeat and conquer all the earth. To demonstrate that He is God. And that we need to have the right vision and the right perspective of who is this holy God that we serve. In Revelation, we see that God is, in the person of Jesus Christ, triumphant and victorious. And He's Redeemer. And He's Restorer. And if I were to attach a theme to the whole book of Revelation, I would think the theme of restoration. That which is broken and hurting and that which is going to be judged, God takes and He cleanses it through His blood. And He brings life and restoration to that which is broken and that which is un unwell. Your task every day in your life is to figure out how do I know more about the Lord that pushes me into a deeper presence with God, a closeness with God. And through this closeness then to help me understand that this is what joy comes from. Because I know the truth. I know God's promises. I know the character of God. But He doesn't leave me. He doesn't neglect me. But He is for me. He is with me. He empowers me through His Holy Spirit to live a life. And I can do this life in His power for His glory. Because His Word promises this. I read Revelation to understand God. And number two, I read Revelation to better understand God's plan for this world. God's plan for the people groups on this planet. And God's plan for the, the Jewish nation, the Jewish race, Israel. You're, you're in Revelation chapter 7. Let's turn there this morning and read a couple of verses that give us perspective of future What's happening in the future? And let me just say this. When you read Revelation, it's difficult because sometimes from John's perspective, as he's writing Revelation, he's showing you a scene that's taking place in heaven. And so you see all that's unfolding in heaven. At the same time, it's just like a, a really good movie with several plots moving and several subplots and different contexts that are happening in a, in a, in a good movie. All of a sudden, you, you switch and then you see action on the earth. And John is in heaven then looking to earth, and he's writing about what's taking place in the future on the earth. And it pans back from the earth to what's going on in heaven. 
They're from heaven back to earth. And then in chapters 12 to 14, it's kind of taking time out. It's like everyone in heaven looks to the big screen and it looks backward into the past. Chapter 7 is a picture of what's taking place in heaven in the future. And starting in verse 9, we see the worship around the throne of God. Here's a plan for the world. Here's a plan for the people groups. Verse 9 says, And after these things, I looked and behold, there was a great multitude which no one could count from every nation and from all tribes and from all people groups and from every tongue. These were standing before the throne, before the Lamb Jesus, and they were clothed in white robes, and palm branches were in their hands, and they cried out with a loud voice saying, Salvation! Salvation to our God who sits on the throne, and to His Son, Jesus Christ, the Lamb. The picture is that God says, that which I've created, that which I'm going to restore, doesn't fall on fallow ground. You see that people from all over the earth will be around the throne worshiping Christ. Representation from every tongue and every tribe and every nation. That's why I love Rock Point because the church says, listen, until that time, we want to send them. We want to go. We want to reach them. We want to equip you to have a mindset for the world locally, in our nation, and through the globe. And we want to send people who are equipped and passionate and spirit-filled to go and share their life with people groups who need, who are going to be standing around. In other words, the fruit of your effort is seen in the future in chapter 7 of Revelation. God's plan is to redeem the earth. God's plan is to redeem uh, the people for His heart, for His glory, for His worship, for His honor. It's our benefit that God loves and God desires to see a people changed and drawn into His presence. How's your worship this morning? You thought about the fact that your life is basically practice for worship, for eternity? How's that look when things are going bad? How's that when things are tough in your life? Sunday morning we, we yawn and we stretch and we struggle sometimes to get our worship on in here. I pray that God would so touch your heart and give you a vision for what He's created your future to look like for eternity. It means the glory for His name. As we think about the plan of God and His holy nature, I want you to think about the fact that the third idea that what we study Revelation is that it should motivate us. It should motivate us to passionately share our faith with the lost world. I want to read you a, a, a relatively scary verse out of Second Thessalonians. Second Thessalonians, in this context of talking about the end times, Revelation, talking about what's going to take place in the future. And so here's Paul writing to the church of Thessalonica because they were kind of weirded out, has this already happened? And he's saying, no, it's not happened yet. Here's some of the things that will take place. And he talks about the people who don't know God. And the context, again, is the Antichrist. This is the one that comes to proclaim a false gospel, a lie to deceive the world for their own destruction. In Second Thessalonians chapter 2, starting in verse 8, the Bible says, And the lawless one, that's the Antichrist, he will be revealed, whom the end, the Lord says, well, he will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. That means God wins in the end, right? But who is this person? This Antichrist is the one whose coming is in agreement or in accord with the activity of Satan and with all power and signs and false wonders. In verse 10, and with all deception of wickedness for those who perish 
Why? Because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. If you were to keep reading that, it gets scarier. There should be a difficult realization, a sobering moment as we approach the text of Revelation. We see what God is going to do on the earth. And we see a glorious, living, crazy, awesome God that we worship. But then we have a sobering reality that the people who are on the earth, they're lost. And they need to find Christ as Lord and Savior. And this should impact us. We can't approach this passively. We can't approach this casually. When we come in contact with the Word of God, it should change us. Revelation 19.13 describes the revealed Jesus. And the Bible says that Jesus wears a robe that has been dipped in blood, speaking of His sacrifice. And listen, and His very name is called the Word of God. Think about this. Jesus is labeled in heaven that we will worship. And His very name, the name of Christ Jesus, is called the Word of God, the living Word of God. What does that mean? It means that when we can approach this Scripture, this text in our daily life on this earth, it might be the closest, most tangible thing we have to Christ until we see Him face to face. The living Word of God. She changes. There are lost people in our world that need to have salvation and know truth. And God has hardwired the world to make you the means by which they will hear the message of the Gospel. That's why we study Revelation. So what do we learn in Revelation? As we dive in quickly, there's four things I want you to unpack in your mind. And these things will be put on the screen to write down if you can. But what do we learn in Revelation in these, these 13 chapters? First thing is we learn that Christ is holy. God is holy other. Because He's not like humans. Because He is the Creator, God. He is a holy other. His being, Trinity, the triune nature of God, is not like us. He is holy other, but He demands His presence to be known in your life, which means we are not holy. And we are broken in holiness. Yet God demands holiness from us. First Peter 1.13 says, For I, the Lord God, am holy, so you be holy. That is our task as Christians. Our task is to be in the presence of the living Christ. And so doing, the more contact we have with Christ, the more we see our wickedness and our filthiness. And in so doing, God's called us to say, listen, there's going to be an impact because of your sinful nature. When I approach the Scripture of Christ, I, I think of two things. I want to walk away from every Scripture, Old Testament or New Testament, thinking about two concepts. What does the Scripture say about God's nature? What can I learn about the very nature or the heart of God through any text of Scripture that I learn? And number two, the question I ask is, now what does the Scripture reveal about my nature and my character? So in my daily Bible study or whenever I'm spending time in the Word of God, I'm trying to answer these two questions. What is God saying to me about Himself? This should change me. This should, this should shift my perspective and say, I am not like that, but that should drive me to become like that. What does the Scripture say about my nature, about my neediness? about my heart. Well, the Bible talks, the reality is that God is holy and He demands holiness from us. Yet because of our sin nature, number two, God's judgment is very real. Unfortunately, because we are not holy, because we, we shake our fist in the presence of God, God says, I have to deal with sin. And it's very real. The earthly judgments that God pours on this earth during the tribulation is unlike anything the earth has seen. Tammy Peden, 
who is an executive assistant here at Rock Point, did a phenomenal job putting this little insert in your bulletin together. On the back, there are some terms, some, some definitions, that when people talk about Revelation and the study of end times, these terms sometimes get lost. What does all this mean? So here's a little dictionary for you. You're welcome. Bless your heart. But on the back side of that is kind of a delineation of the judgments. The judgments during the seven years of tribulation in the future on this earth that God is going to unpack and unveil for the world who rejects God. And it's scary. It should be sobering. This is not fun stuff. This is not kindergarten happy songs. We're not singing songs about meteorites falling from heaven and crushing people. This is kind of sobering stuff, right? Yet is it any less true? Is it any less valid than the reality is that God loves this earth and wants to redeem this earth? Revelation is a book of restoration. And yet God says, because sin is real, because God's holiness is real, judgment is real. And as you unpack this little, uh, little table, it should help you understand that the sealed judgments do certain things. And the trumpet judgments do certain things. The Bible speaks about the thunder judgments that are so bad John wasn't even allowed to write it out. He says, don't even close this up. I mean, it's pretty bad in heaven when God says, X-rated. I can't let anyone else read this. It's only reserved for those who are going to taste it. And then the bold judgments that God pours out. What does this mean? That means that judgment on the earth is real. It means eternal judgment as well. The hell the Bible describes is real. And if there's eternal judgment and hell is real, hell is only real because, listen, the cross is real. If there's no need for a cross, then we can all go to heaven, right? If there's no need for eternal judgment and the fact of a a reality of what hell is, there's no need for Jesus Christ's suffering and justification on the cross. But because the cross of Jesus Christ is real, it's a true fact historically, and it should make a spiritual reality in your life, then there is a judgment. Why is that? Because of God who loved His Son, His holy and perfect and sinless Son, would not spare the wrath and the judgment of my life and my sin for His perfect Son to die on a cross, to be a substitute for my life. What makes us think, why are we so arrogant of things that God then would not judge the rest of the world just as poignantly, just as passionately for those who would reject the only means to heaven. The only way that God provided for salvation on this earth, which is His Son, Jesus Christ. God help us in our seminaries, in our theologies, in our, in our churches in the world that have dismissed hell. Dismissed judgment. It's not fun. Let's talk about love and joy and peace. But listen, Revelation is a book of reality. And unfortunately, judgment is real because God is holy. Because God is holy. He's punished our sin through His Son, Jesus which means that He's the only way back to the presence of God. Christ is a living, breathing act of restoration for us to know God deeply and intimately again. As we read Revelation, we're drawn to see not only is judgment real on the earth and eternal judgment real because hell is real, but third, there's hope in Christ. And that hope in Jesus Christ is real. The fourth area I want you to see, I want to I'll just kind of hold your place for a second to think. I, I want you to understand that the rescue of God's heart in Revelation is powerful. Number one, He deals with Israel. Now I hold 
theologically that Israel and the church are not the same, and that the, the promises of the Old Testament that are given to Israel are not the promises the church can claim for themselves. And listen, the fulfillment of the prophecy of God for Israel has yet to come to be accomplished, has yet to be fulfilled. And so Revelation, again, unpacks and shows on our, our behalf as we read what God is going to do in the future for Israel in restoration. Because God is faithful. His character and nature is faithfulness. He is true. So that should motivate us to want to read Scripture more and understand what is God's heart and plan for all the Old Testament Israelites in the future. And by the way, no one in Israel comes to, no, no one comes to God except through Jesus Christ the Messiah, the first Messiah. They missed it, hello. Gentiles now have been blessed to be able to speak and understand the, the gospel of Christ, but it's going back to the Jews as well. And the Jews need to have their Messiah in the person of Jesus Christ. And in so doing, God shows His faithfulness in Revelation to provide a way for the Jewish nation, the people of God, to find restoration of the person of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And secondly, we see on the earth that God provides a way in the seven years of, of this judgment, of this tribulation, for rescue, for redemption, for hope. That there is hope in the midst of chaos and pain and struggle and trial that Jesus Christ has rescued your life from where you were. God will so rescue this earth as they cry out to the Lord God. I want you to, to find this place in Revelation chapter 14. This is an awesome verse. I just think it's so cool how God provides. Chapter 14 and verse 6, as you find it, think about this. God says in the middle of Revelation, and the tribulation times when all these horrible judgments are going out on the people who shake their fists at God and say, we hate you, God. We reject you, God. We don't want you, God. He says, this is my way. This is the Son. He's the way to heaven. And these people on the earth reject this. And so there is judgment in their life. But in the midst, even in their judgment, God says, I'm providing two witnesses for you. The Bible describes two witnesses who physically live in Jerusalem at the temple that will be created in, and they're able to share the gospel. And these two witnesses are sealed. And by being sealed, it means they can't be harmed or killed. And their only task is for a season on the earth is to proclaim the gospel. The Bible says the world will see it. I'm assuming it's through TV cameras and satellite or whatever it looks like online. People will hear in their language the gospel of Jesus Christ by these two witnesses. And the Bible says people try to assassinate them and kill them and destroy them, but they're sealed by God. They can't be touched. It's like the super, it's like the ultimate movie, Macho. you got Stallone on one side, you got Schwarzenegger on one side. They're proclaiming the gospel and no one can kill them, right? It's kind of cool. But here, here's the idea. The Bible says... At the end, when God then says it's time, time is up, He takes the seal off their lives. The two witnesses are described in Revelation to be killed. And the world is so excited, they rejoice. The Bible says they send presents one to another all over the world. It's like a Hanukkah all over the world or Christmas all over the world. People are celebrating the fact that the two witnesses of God are dead. It will show you the level of depravity and brokenness in our world, those who reject God. God has not left Himself without a witness. The Bible says there's 144,000 witnesses. What does that mean? In that seven-year tribulation, these are males who are Jews who are virgins. And these men are called up to go to the all corners of the earth to share the gospel of Jesus Christ to every tribe, tongue, and nation. We see in chapter 14 the results. Women and men of God around the throne and their tribe tongues like worshiping God. And then right here in chapter 14, verse 6, 
How cool is this? In the middle of all this destruction, the Bible says, and I saw, here's John saying, I saw another angel flying in the mid-heaven, having an eternal gospel to preach to those who live on the earth and to every tongue, every nation, every tribe, and every people. Again, we see that God, He's like, I love the world. I want the world to know me. And I'm judging you. And I'm putting it to you. And I'm spanking you. And this is discipline. This is me. The God, the eternal belt is coming off. And He is disciplining the people of the earth. Jews and Gentiles. But the discipline has a purpose. Find me. Find your love in me. Find salvation in me. Find truth in me. Because the heart of God is the heart of restoration. This is the message of Revelation. So what do we do with this? I think your task is to read Revelation. To meditate on it. Study it. And when it gets hard for you, I would challenge you to write, write down questions. You have a church staff here that's educated and are passionate to help you walk in your walk. And the things are difficult to understand theologically or scripturally, they want to help you. We might even do a, a January Bible study in Revelation, a verse by verse of these tough passages to kind of unpack these things. So I say study this. Read this. Write down your questions and your thoughts. Number two, I want you to think about your lifestyle. What is your lifestyle of worship right now? What is the lifestyle of holiness in your life that God's demanded of you and empowered you through His Holy Spirit to live a life for His glory? What do we do with Revelation? I, I would challenge you to think about your family and your workplace this week who need to be confronted with the reality of God's love and God's nature and the prospect of salvation. I would challenge you to think about what your part is to demonstrate and to live out a living gospel in the workplace of your life so that people can find hope. In just a few minutes, I'm going to leave and uh, Artie's going to preach the third service. My father came in town and we're going to go to the race, the NASCAR race down next to our house. And I'm going to just lay this out. And, you know, if you tell my dad, I'll, I'll deny it, even though it's on tape. But here's the deal. Uh, I don't know anything about NASCAR, right? I'm from East Tennessee, and the very foundation of our whole culture of East Tennessee is country music and NASCAR, okay? That's just kind of who we are as people. And I told my son, listen to that guy, he, you know, on the speed channel, he's being, listen to that guy talk. We're supposed to sound like that. We don't, but there it is. And so NASCAR, and I think that there would be three or 400,000 people today at this race, and they're all getting excited and hot and passionate and sweaty over these cars, going and doing the thing, right? And we're all excited, yeah. For what? Now, I paid, I paid some dollars for this, these tickets here. I'm, you know, I, I, I see my own contradiction here, right? But, but can, I, can I be honest with you? Wouldn't it be awesome if there were three, 400,000 folks in one church getting all hot and bothered about the glory of the revealed living God? Wouldn't it be phenomenal that we would get excited about things of eternal value and eternal nature and the things that God gets excited about? Man, I want us to do the Revelation song, man, and get hot and bothered. In fact, we want to be around the throne of God. And what God gets excited about is seeing people who are lost and broken and hurt and saved and changed and restored and their natures healed because God shows up. I want to be in a crowd of hundreds of thousands of people getting excited about that. One day we'll taste that. I don't know what it looks like on this side of this earth. The world thinks we're foolish for believing this. But what are you to do with Revelation? You're to read it and believe it. And it's changed your life. 
to learn to love the things that God loves on this earth. As I close, I think about Mother Teresa and her work in India. And I've been to India and I have seen and walked and tasted things that have shuttered my life. I'll be forever changed by the needs and the physical hurts of India. People throwing out the elder just to rot in the streets. There are people who would collect them and try to nurse them and give them a place of death, a sanctuary for the dignity of death. And Mother Teresa was being walked by this great senator, and he said, Mother Teresa, how can you do what you're doing? How can you live and be doing this without being crushed by the weight of all that's around you? Oh, Mother Teresa, in her little humble voice and her short stature, just looked up at this great senator and said, Sir, God did not call me to be successful. Just faithful. Rock Point Church, the task is before us. To love the hearts of the people on this earth faithfully as God does, that He would use you and use me to show them His love. That we'd be faithful in our lives. That we'd be faithful this week to live this out. I pray that you fall in love with Christ of Revelation. Let's pray. Father, we come into your presence this day rejoicing and thanking You for Your great grace and Your great love over us as people. We are redeemed. We have tasted Your restoration, God. And Father, our prayer this morning is that, Lord, You would use us. Lord, use us to be a light to those around our world who need to taste You. God, have Your way in our lives this week. God, help our church to be focused on the task the vision that Ron so faithfully leads us in to be equipped, to be sent. Lord, we thank you in advance for what you'll do this week in our lives, in us and through us. Father, if there's anyone in this room this morning who does not know Christ as Lord and Savior, I pray that your spirit would draw them, that, Lord, they would find you and ask someone, how do I know Christ? They would find a pastor on the back as they leave in our guest service room, Lord, they would find someone there and share, I need to know Jesus Christ. God, help us to be faithful. We thank you in advance. We love you, Lord. Seal this to our hearts. And we ask it in the powerful name of the revealed and victorious Jesus Christ. Amen.